welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. My name is Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. Uh, so today we are going to be doing the first of two London Film Festival podcasts. Gav and I went to the London Film Festival last weekend, and we saw a bunch of movies. We are very excited to be talking about them. Uh, we saw so many that we are going to be breaking this up into two episodes. The first one is going up now, and then the second one will be in a few days. Uh, we wanted to start off talking about La La Land, which is probably the biggest film that was at the festival, which we did manage to get in despite the line going around the entire cinema, which was quite a spectacle. Uh, and this movie has been getting a ton of Oscar buzz. It's been the sort of big talk of all the festivals it's screened at. Um, and I was really excited to get the chance to see what it was about. It's not coming out for a few months in the U.S. and or maybe November in the U.S. Uh, and not until January in the U.K. So depending on where you live, you will get to see this soon-ish. Um, so this film was directed, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who did Whiplash, which was nominated for a couple of Oscars two years ago. And the basic pitch is that it's a musical set in Los Angeles, and it's about an aspiring actress and a jazz musician played by Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, who are both sort of trying to find themselves creatively, who wind up falling in love. Sort of has been described as a love letter to Los Angeles and to classic musicals. Um, and people have really been loving it. And I think we had a slightly more muted reaction to it than a lot of other people have. So Gav, do you want to sort of say a little bit about your thoughts? Yeah, so I think both of the leads were really good, and I did generally enjoy the film. I kind of, in terms of the love letter to Los Angeles thing, one aspect of that that I did enjoy is the fact that they didn't go overly pastiche. So, you know, there is like a tap dance musical number, and there is quite a lot of Los Angeles landmarks and people working in Hollywood, like uh, Emma Stone's character works in a cafe on the Warner Brothers lot, but it's not really in your face, like, oh, check out this amazing Hollywood history, which quite a lot of, there's quite a lot of films that are like that, you know, and also they do tend to get nominated for Oscars because everyone who does the nominating loves Hollywood. So yes. <laughs> it was like relatively subtle and in like a slightly critical way, I think, but not particularly critical. But um, after seeing it, kind of my overall opinion is that people are reacting so positively to it just because they want to see a musical romance. Because it's so rare to see that sort of classic musical genre film that isn't a Disney movie um, and is actually about adults and is a romance. And like because so many films that we see are either serious Oscar dramas or it's like a huge blockbuster about robots smashing into each other, this is a relatively rare genre. And I completely agree with that because I was just like, it's so great to see a musical that isn't extremely surreal and set in that Disney world. But it's not actually that amazing. Like if you're looking at it from the perspective of comparing it to other classic musicals, like, I mean, obviously it's a little unfair to compare it to um, Singing in the Rain because that's the best musical ever. But we did review that. <laughs> we did review that recently. And it is like the quintessential kind of Hollywood musical. But, like, they hired two people who are not especially proficient dancers or singers. They can both sing in tune. Uh, Emma Stone's probably a slightly better singer than Ryan Gosling, and Ryan Gosling is a better singer than Emma Stone. I believe Emma Stone actually better said... Better dancer. Better dancer, sorry. Um, yeah, I believe 
um, Emma Stone said that she's not a particularly good dancer and the dance scenes are pretty simple like there's a couple of ensemble members and there's like one or two duets and the rest of the music is like more just like a song rather than like a fully fledged musical number um, but like Morgan and I were talking about this when we came out of the cinema and we were both just like this would be so much better if you had people who were Broadway trained and I know that Singing in the Rain managed to find someone, the you know, the girl who was playing the lead role who could learn to tap dance in like six months for the film. But they, you know, they did it well in this movie and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as good as a musical could be. And also the songs were not especially catchy. Like there was a very effective use of the main theme music, which is sort of the theme of their romance. And when you see Ryan Gosling's character playing his music, it's this amazing kind of connection between the two characters. But first of all, I found it a bit strange that it wasn't jazz because the whole thing is about his love of jazz music and the music in the film is not really jazz. And also, like, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Like, I liked the soundtrack, but it didn't blow me away. And aside from kind of earworming one riff from the main song, it wasn't up there with most of the classics. And I think people are kind of reacting a bit towards the idea of having two A-list actors in an adult musical rather than the actual content of the film, which was just okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think just even beyond the musical aspect, just a romance at all that is competently done, right? You get that so infrequently at this point, or competently done with a sort of not huge budget, obviously, but it the production values look really nice. It's very lush. It feels like a big movie, even though it's not really. I mean, you Um, don't even get rom-coms at the moment. Like there's been quite a lot of commentary about the fact that rom-coms died out about 10 years ago. And this is just like a straight up romance. You know, it's two people falling in love and then having a relationship. And that's the basis of the story, along with they both have their kind of dreams. So Emma Stone really, really wants to be an actress, but isn't making it in Hollywood and is working in a cafe. And then Ryan Gosling's character has this pipe dream of opening a jazz bar but he's like extremely impractical about it so he's very bad at holding down a day job and he's quite snobbish about his love of jazz and that sort of thing he's well to he's well characterized but people are people are hungry for romance i think is my diagnosis yes um and i i would be happy for this movie to make a ton of money even though i did not particularly like it because oh God, for sure it's the type of movie that i would prefer people to make over a million more superhero movies although of course that will not immediately happen even if it does make a ton of money um but i thought i feel like the more that i think about this movie the less i like it while i was watching it i kind of liked it fine but i never was fully taken in by it and i think part of that was that i was resistant to it from the beginning because i really 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 hated whiplash and that was not fair to the movie and I sort of knew that and felt bad about it going in but I think that it you you can never fully sort of get rid of those prejudices when you have a feeling about a director and I've seen his first Damien Chazelle's first movie too and I also really disliked that so I'd heard a ton of good stuff about this movie and I really sort of was hoping that it would be good but I knew that I was going to have to overcome this a little bit and I do think that this is much more pleasant than Whiplash, which is a very unpleasant film in a lot of ways. Um, And I think the two leads are really charming. Although, again, I sort of kept wondering, like, why have they been cast in this film? Um, And I get why people are liking them in it. And I think they both do a pretty good job with the acting. But there aren't actually that many numbers 
in it. No, like, there they isn't. don't sing that much. Which is probably just as well, because like right. they wouldn't be able to execute it. I really bought into the romance and like I you know, I enjoyed both of their performances, even if I think this is something Morgan pointed out to me actually, but like Ryan Gosling's characterization is a lot stronger than Emma Stone's character. But like it doesn't really seem worth casting people if they can only do like one third of the performance. Right. And I found myself thinking a lot about the script writing as I was watching it because there is a lot of sort of flashy direction and the sort of set decoration and the production values are really high and it looks really beautiful. But I think that the script sort of going underneath it is not that strong. So again, the characterization of the leads is pretty interesting. I think that Damien Chazelle has some gender issues in his writing and Ryan Gosling's character felt for this pretty simple film, pretty fleshed out to me. He's got a sort of ash hole streak in a very lovable way. He's very stubborn and self-defeating. Um, and you really get what, where this sort of distinct passion comes from. Emma's, and he's very oh, funny in a kind of yes. laugh at the character way. There's a lot of humor yeah. that's directed at the fact that he's doing something that's not unpleasant, but is kind of douchey in a, in a purposely entertaining way. And I was quite surprised that Emma Stone didn't get more comedy because like, we all know that Emma Stone is hilarious. And she gets some funny stuff, but like not not really that much, you know? Well, right. Her her role is basically just she really wants to be an actress. Yeah. Like and that, I mean fundamentally it's like the it. second kind of the second element of this story is that it's about creativity and it's about people finding kind of their creative outlet basically. So you know that Ryan Gosling is a very good pianist, uh, not necessarily good enough businessman to have succeeded in opening his jazz bar. And like Emma Stone has, you know, she has some great scenes where she's sort of trying and failing to get small roles in TV, which was like a hilarious scene. But they mostly kind of articulate her artistic drive in the sense that she really wants to be an actress, but you don't really get a much more complex illustration than that. And there's also a kind of strange imbalance where you have um, Ryan Gosling's character introduces her to jazz and also introduces her to like a new movie to help her prepare for an audition but like you don't really see Emma Stone talking about her artistic influences and what things she likes about acting and filmmaking you kind of hear more about like her childhood and stuff like the kind of the aunt that inspired her and like there's a lot of stuff we can't really discuss about this film because we don't want to talk about the ending and give spoilers because it's not out for months but for a film that's about creativity they should have gone further into the background of what drives Emma Stone's character, seeing as she is, you know, the protagonist. Yeah, I agree. And I, I wound up, it was interesting. The more I thought about it, the more, like I, so we do not need to go into whiplash in any, to any great, you know, length, but I, I hated whiplash like deeply. I mean, you know this, but for our listeners, like I, that was my least favorite movie of the year it came out. I, it still makes me angry, but I almost found it more interesting than this movie, even though I found this movie much more pleasant to watch because even though I think what it was saying about the artistic process and about men specifically was completely reprehensible and wrong, I felt like there was more going on in it that was sort of interesting, even though it made me really angry. And with this, I thought it was pleasant. Um, It was fine. And I sort of walked out of the theater and I thought, I am not going to remember this movie in six months at all. Like it is going to be gone from my brain, which I guess that's not the worst thing in the world, but in a way there's like 
something more valuable to me about a movie that makes you really, really pissed off because it makes you think about things. And this was sort of like, okay, that's, you know, eh. Um, so... I mean, I think I enjoyed it more than you, but yes, I, I also kind of had a similar reaction because I wasn't really deeply invested in it. I was just kind of enjoying a pleasant love story. I thought, I mean, visually it's very beautiful. Um, and wow, is it going to sell a lot of sundresses? Like Emma Stone's yeah. very poor working in a coffee shop girl has like about 11,000 really nice summer dresses. But I will accept that because it's a movie musical and there's a slight element of surreality that's required. But yeah, like it didn't really stick with me. And I say, like, I love romance, right? I enjoyed it, but I think I kind of, I just hope this does well. And then I get more romance movies and they're good and they have strong characterization. <laughs> yes, yes. And they should cast these two people in them because they're excellent, but maybe don't make them sing yeah. in those movies. Yeah. Or dance, in the case of Emma Stone. I think Ryan Gosling actually can dance fine because they gave him a little bit of tap dancing and it looked perfectly fine, but then he can't just do it by himself. So it was sort of just this awkward, like, you know, this moments where they were just acting together, I found way more effective ironically than the singing stuff which yeah. i mean weird. kind of overall like it, it, you know. it does have funny parts but it is basically like an adult drama um it's certainly not like tonally similar to other musicals that i've seen well it's apparently his influences were not so much hollywood musicals but oh, like yeah, sure. 60s french musicals like the umbrellas okay. of Cherbourg, which is the only one of those that i've seen oh, okay I which i saw that. when i was like 16 and hated because we watched it in french class and none of us understood <laughs> what was going on so i'm not a you know i can't say anything about that from a legitimate critical perspective but he's coming at it from a slightly different different angle but it will be it will be interesting to see how the movie does, um, despite us having a sort of slightly middling uh, view on it. I suspect that a lot of people are really going to like this film. Um, and, and I hope they do. I mean, I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing um, kind of discussion of the ending when it comes out because yeah. Morgan and I both had like quite a lot of complex thoughts about that, which we're not going to discuss now. But I think one or both of us will probably at least write like a blog post or an article about it when it comes out and we'll sort of link back to this podcast and you can check it out in a couple of months. Yeah. So we're going to talk about two other films on this one and then save the rest for our second podcast. The second one is a film called Patterson, which only I saw. So I'm just going to give a little pitch for this movie because this was one of the two best films I saw at the festival. This is a the latest Jim Jarmusch film starring Adam Driver as a bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey. He is also named Patterson, and Patterson is the title of a very famous book um, of William Carlos Williams' poems, or it's going to be a long poem that William Carlos Williams wrote. So there are a lot of resonances with this title because he is a bus driver who is also a poet. This is a very, very slow movie. It takes place over the course of a week and basically it goes through his routine every day. And almost nothing happens, which I realize is a great pitch for a film. It's very slow and almost nothing happens. But I found it completely and totally transfixing. Um, so basically, he's this bus driver and he's living with his... I can't remember if she's his wife or his girlfriend, who's played by Golshita Farhani, who is really really fantastic and he writes these poems in a little notebook where he literally doesn't even have copies of them he has no sort of aspirations to be a published poet which makes her totally crazy and she's one of those people i'm sure all of you know people like this who you know she has this aspiration to have a cupcake bakery 
And then the next day she decides actually she's going to be a country music star. And then she also is painting curtains. And like, there's just one thing after another that she decides is going to be the thing that like makes her successful. Um, And consequently is sort of spending money frivolously on these things, which they really don't have. Uh, And it was really interesting to me to see, there's also a dog I should add, which is excellent French bulldog in this film, which I think will really add to people's enjoyment of it quite a lot. Um, was it nominated for the Cannes Dog Award? It won the Palm Dog. It won. Okay, right. Good to know. Yes, yes, yes. So it was fascinating to me to see this film just a couple days after La La Land because a lot of the sort of conversations in La La Land and what it's trying to get at are all about... Um, pursuing art and whether you should be practical or not or follow your dreams and a lot of it is in quite a hackneyed way and I got the sense watching it that Damien Chazelle possibly had some confused ideas about those that sort of stuff which I think you can also tell from Whiplash and Patterson is also basically a movie about art it's about this guy who, again, he's very working class. He drives a bus. He has no real ambitions, but so much of his life revolves around him writing poetry. Like he's clearly thinking about it all the time. You hear him writing poetry in his head. You see him being really observational about the world around him. And like, it's clear that that's how he kind of thinks and that he's picking up things that he wants to write about from what he's seeing. And the what the movie is basically about in and what you get ultimately from the sort of slow rhythm of his daily life is what that poetry means to him. So it's not about, you know, do I want to be famous or not? It's like, what significance does this have to my life? And I found that a lot more profound and relatable than the sort of similar questions in La La Land, which are done in a very big and broad way and that's fine it's a very different kind of film but they're both sort of concerned with again much bigger things and her in particular she wants to be a famous actress and plenty of people want to do that but yeah i mean there were certain thing you know yeah there were like certain scenes in la la land where i was like this is spot on so there's the fact that once they actually do get together as a couple ryan gosling's character is really I guess I describe it as unrealistically enthusiastic about her work. So like yes. he's never actually seen Emma Stone act or write plays, which is also kind of something she did as a kid. And he's sort of encouraging her, which is obviously like, you know, really great supportive boyfriend behavior, but he's sort of like, Oh, you're going to be a superstar. Like you're so amazing at this. You're so talented. You're a prodigy. And it's like, you, you need to like have some basis for this. It's like a meaningless compliment. And I find that very realistic. Cause I think some people do do that and it's well-meaning, but it's not really understanding how to help a friend develop creatively. Um, but there were other aspects of it, like we discussed, like the fact that you don't actually see much of her enjoying her craft particularly or like her basis for it. Um, and it kind of sounds like I'm very interested to see Patterson. Like the reason why I didn't watch this movie is because shortly before it, I'd seen an incredibly bad movie about a poet. And I was like, I'm not watching two poetry movies <laughs> in a row. And I saw a horror movie instead, which turned out to be great. But um, Patterson... 
I will be there when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Adam Driver is really, really, really good in it in an extremely subtle role. And he's basically the only white person in the movie, except for some people on his bus. And I thought, you know what? That's great. People should just cast Adam Driver in movies as the only white person, but have Adam Driver in lots of movies. And I will be a very happy person. That's great. Um, Star Wars Episode Ten. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that I think is coming out within the next month, both in the UK and the US, and I would strongly recommend it. I, I was totally captivated by it. I think it's wonderful. Um, it, yeah, it was my second favorite film, I think, that I saw. Uh, we will be discussing my first favorite in our next episode, which is, was much more depressing. Uh, but this one just made me smile. It, there was some sort of moving stuff that wasn't necessarily like really uplifting, but it made me feel good, which was nice because everything is depressing right now. So that was like a, was a good, good thing. And the last one for this episode was a film called Personal Shopper starring Kristen Stewart. That was really just an indescribable experience i mean it it certainly it wasn't like extremely weird right like it wasn't like a strange experimental film but conceptually it was somewhat unexpected because neither of us had really researched it before um so it's because it's called personal shopper first of all i was kind of like it's a drama movie about kristen stewart being a personal shopper it's directed by uh, Olivia Essayat, who's a French director who also did The Clouds of Ciel Maria, which is one of the kind of really acclaimed drama films she's done in the past couple of years. And Personal Shopper is kind of, her job is that she's a personal shopper, but the focus is more on the fact that she's grieving the death of her twin brother. And also she's a psychic medium. So it's kind of like a supernatural, I wouldn't describe it as a horror film, but it's a, it's a suspense film. And it's kind of this combination between real life psychological drama and like hints of supernatural stuff because she's trying to talk to dead people. And um, it was wonderful to look at. It was very kind of atmospheric. I think they managed like a relatively good balance between real life drama stuff of her being this rather miserable, sulky young woman who's depressed because her brother's dead and then being like, oh, I'm looking for ghosts. Um, but like, well, I, what I thought was just so bizarre was I I knew the basic idea of the film. Like I'd read reviews of it, so I knew about the supernatural. Yeah, I mean, element. I saw in the plot summary that she was also a psychic medium, but I I didn't realize that that was kind of the focus of the film. Like I knew what the title was, and I thought I guess she must also be a personal shopper. Like I didn't really know how that played. So basically, we both came at it. this from the wrong from angle. <laughs> but. Literally within like the first five minutes of this movie, she has to deliver this bizarre dialogue where she's saying things like, yeah, you know, like I, I couldn't make the connection, but I felt a presence and like all of this stuff. And the movie is not presented in a way where dialogue like that sounds fine. Right? Like, you can watch sort of hackneyed, <laughs> pulp genre stuff. Yeah, it's, like a, it's say, like a serious indie right. drama. It's it's shot like a French art film, because yeah. that's yeah. what it is. But then there's all of this dialogue about the spirit worlds. And, <laughs> and there's also <laughs> no point where, like, there is a character who is sort of clearly doesn't believe her, right? But there's no point where she or the kind of the friends that share her beliefs ever acknowledge that this is not like a normal thing, right? Yeah. So her thing is that like she's going into this house where her brother used to live and she's trying to contact his spirit or like any spirit. 
and she and kind of her friends and the people who are trying to buy this house are having these very matter-of-fact conversations about the spirit world which i completely accept right because like if you have that kind of shared belief then obviously you're just going to be talking about it like that but when she discusses it with other people there's like no sense of self-consciousness like she's like oh yeah you know obviously i realize this is weird it's just like completely straightforward and there's also like there's one scene where she just launches into it and it's like one of those kind of classic not quite plausible drama scenes where people open up to each other like instantly after meeting each other i could legitimize it partly because kristen stewart's performance in this movie is really good and partly because she's meant to be so miserable and lonely that she's just like opening up to people at random but it was a bit like, I don't feel like two people who've just met with nothing in common are going to just start talking about how they talk to dead people. <laughs> it was just, I just found it, like, some of those scenes of that dialogue are so bad that <laughs> I was, and some of the stuff about the movie I thought was really effective. Like, she's really great. There's some really creepy stuff with, a, with like, text messages on a phone that I found very, very unsettling. Uh, yeah, I didn't I, I couldn't yeah. tell right because like there's we can't really talk about this aspect because it's a spoiler but there's like an element of this film that I think is presented as a twist but I was like this seems so obvious that I feel like you're meant to have worked it out instantly right yeah but I appreciated the like creepiness and that I thought they did a really effective job using the cell phone which movies almost never yes and then there's a great scene with her trying on clothes I don't really want to give away more detail, but it was like really, really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we kind of, if you're going to watch yeah. this film, you'll have seen either a poster or a trailer and it kind of shows her wearing couture clothes. But I mean, the fashion stuff in this movie was fantastic because yeah. it's sort of like they have Kristen Stewart essentially dressing in a similar way to Kristen Stewart dresses in real life. So she's wearing like sneakers and sort of boyish jeans and sweaters and leather jackets and always has sort of unwashed hair falling over her face and no makeup. And she's working as the personal shopper to this very rich, very unpleasant, snobby woman in Paris who needs her to go and pick up like all this really expensive um, like jewellery and high-end fashion stuff from boutiques, which is worth like thousands and thousands and thousands of euros. And um, all of the fashion stuff was extremely well-selected. And it was very believable that this particular character was working as a personal shopper because, like, she has extremely good taste, but she also has no particular interest in forming relationships with the boutique people or, like, cozying up to them or expressing enthusiasm for the fashion, which is kind of who you want to have that job because it's someone who's not necessarily going to, like, steal your shit. She's not going to have a fangirl meltdown when she has to go to a photo shoot because she just doesn't care. But yeah. they also did, like, a really good job of illustrating the fact that because, obviously because she has such expertise in that field, she obviously does really want the clothes, but she can't really show it publicly, so she has to have other people to encourage her to kind of try on a pair of shoes or something. Yeah. And then pretends to not be interested, but you can tell through her performance that she's like, oh my god! Yes! So, like, all of that stuff was good, and then you'd have these scenes where she's talking about the spirit world. The, and I was, it, like, I barely, I didn't even know what to make of this film. Like, I don't know how to assess it because it was such a bizarre mixture of just, like, what? What? I, it was, it was a very weird experience. Like, I, her, her, I was really impressed by her commitment to. Yeah, I mean, with another dialogue, actress, this film would have like, been garbage, right? Yeah. Um,. <laughs> And much as I love, like, slightly strange genre crossovers, like, I, I, I wouldn't say this was, like, a strong recommendation for me, no. but, like, it certainly made me want to watch 
all Kristen Stewart movies, <laughs> which I kind of already did, but like I haven't really got right into it. Um, she certainly knows how to select extremely appropriate roles for her acting and like also kind of the type of character she's playing because she's a really good actress but she has like um not a limited range but like i guess a limited range of types of characters she can play she's not gonna be like oh here's you know a bubbly action hero yeah this was an extremely good performance within the range of types of characters that kristen stewart is well suited to yeah in a weird film yes i in a film where i think it's safe to say that ghosts are real but it's not a horror movie. I really enjoyed kind of the introductory scenes or sort of her just hanging out trying to find ghosts. And I was just like, I think this is the first time I've seen a film where it's clearly a ghost story, but they've not got atmospheric music. So it's just like someone hanging out in an extremely normal, real dark house like you would in real life. Yeah. And also ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Which I enjoyed yeah. kind of stylistically, but um, I think it went off the rails somewhat towards the end in a way yeah. that I'm not sure worked, even though it had like a clever idea behind it. Yeah. But we, we cannot go further than that. Yeah. That is uh, all we have for this episode, I think. Uh, in a few days, we will have another episode with more details on things we saw at the London Film Festival. So tune back in for that. Um, in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, as always, please rate or review us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. It's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Bye. <laughs>